How about we get into the Word of God this morning? Praise God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse number 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. May the blessing of God accompany the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your many blessings upon us today, God. Thank you specifically today, God, for the Word of God. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. We hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. It is your gift. It is the gift of your Word, your mind, your will revealed to us. We are grateful for it today. Thank you for its inspiration. Thank you for the preservation and the translation that we might have it to read today in our own We can understand in our own minds what you would speak to us today. And we do pray for you, God, to speak to us today. Let your anointing flow freely and clearly. Help the one who is speaking on your behalf, for you know all of his limitations. Help those who hear it, receive it in faith today, O God. Let the word take root. Let it bear fruit. I ask these things. In Jesus' name, and all who agree with me say, Amen. If God allows me, I'm going to spend a few Sundays in First and Second Thessalonians because my heart has just been challenged over the past few months, really, with all that is going on not only in the church world, but in the world at large. And while I claim no prophetic uh, gift or prophetic uh, insight. I know what the Bible says, and I have been gifted to teach the Word of God and to preach the Word of God, and the topic of the return of Jesus Christ is very prominent in the Word of God. Both the Old and New Testament speak often and with, with, with authority that one day God is going to come to this world, and He's going to take authority over the nations of this world. And he is going to put down all unrighteousness. And he's going to put down all ungodliness. And he's going to pour out his wrath against all of those who oppose him. Paul puts it this way in Romans. 
all those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. John says in John chapter 3, John the Baptist said, anyone who does not believe what the Son of God says will abide under the wrath of God. Now, I don't know about you. I know, I know wrath, the wrath of God is not a politically correct subject to talk about in the church world today. We spend our time, rightfully so, emphasizing those positive characteristics of grace and love and mercy. And I, I, I am one who can testify that I am an object of the grace and the love and the mercy of God towards me through Jesus Christ my Lord. And, and I've been told again and again and again that I am one who will escape that wrath of God. I am one who will be delivered from that wrath of God if I continue in faith and continue to love and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So I give God praise this morning for His grace and His love and His mercy. He did not have to give me the opportunity. He did not have to present to me the chance to avoid the wrath that is coming upon this world. But He has done so, and I am grateful. So let me start from there. That when I come to you this morning to speak of the wrath of God, it is from a place of one who has received mercy and one who knows what it means to escape or to be delivered or one who has hope. I have hope in my heart that I will be delivered from the wrath of God that is coming upon this world. But the more I see what's happening in society, the more I see what is happening in not only my nation, but in all of the nations of the world, the more convinced I become, we are getting close to the day. I believe Jesus put it this way. If he does not come at a certain time, there may not be faith left in the world. And I tell you now, I think we're living in such a time as this. As Pastor Volga told you several weeks ago, this is a perilous times, And the faith is under such attack from without, from those who oppose it, but also from within, from those who would corrupt it and those who would pervert it and those who would, uh, who would turn it into a, a people-pleasing, a man-pleasing gospel. Just a few weeks, ministers, bishops will gather from the Church of God from all over the world in San Antonio, Texas, and there they will discuss matters of doctrine and faith and polity of the church of God. And I pray for those who go there because they are facing a challenge unlike anything I've ever seen in all of my years of ministry. And I pray that they do not get distracted by, by things that have no real meaning or value. I just once, Reverend, I'd like to go to an assembly where the topic of the day and the topic of the hour was how we stand up for this gospel of Jesus Christ and how we present it to a world that is facing the wrath of God. Because I'm here today to tell you that even though some would tell you God is not a wrathful God, I believe I beg to differ. One of the things that I'm sort of... a I don't know if enjoying is the right word, but one of the things I'm taking away from our Wednesday night Bible study, we committed in January of this year to go through the whole story of God from Genesis to the end, to, to, to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we're up to Numbers chapter 12. That's how far we've come in, in the four or five months since then. But 
one of the things, whether it's a great flood, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it's plagues in Egypt, whether it's a, whether it's a, 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 the earth's opening up its mouth and swallowing people. One thing I've come to understand is you don't mess with God. That if you go far enough, God will reach out. Uh, last week, uh, uh, we, 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 we were, went through the story of how the fire of God came out and consumed Nadab and Ihu for offering strange fire. Let me tell you something. If that doesn't give your, get your attention as a Pentecostal about the difference between manufactured uh, 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 signs and manufactured uh, manifestations and those that are truly of God, you better start paying attention. Because God is about up to here with the foolishness of this world and of the people that are in it. And while He still is a merciful God, and while He still is dealing with us from the, the bounties of His grace, and while we who are under the blood of Christ have, have, have been given this beautiful, uh, uh, redemptive work in His life, I think we all have to understand that there's coming a, a, a point of no return for the world. It's got to happen one day. It might as well be this day. It's got to happen at some point. At some point, God has to say that's as far as we can go. And He has to deal with all of the, 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 the evil and all of the wickedness and all of the perversion and all of the corruption that is degrading and destroying. I, 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 to me, it's as simple as this. If Jesus does not come, the world's going to destroy itself. Amen. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. I, 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 I know we've been, God's been very gracious to us so far. Amen. God has been very merciful so far. He stopped the Hitler just in time. Yeah. All right? He stopped others just in time. Uh, but, but it won't, one day he's going to say, I'm not stopping. And whether it's a Putin, whether it's a, uh, whoever it is, whoever comes on the scene, one day we're going to take one step too far. And the world's just going to destroy itself. And before that happens, I believe God's going to step in. And so when we go through these books, we're going to see that the major theme of Paul's writing to the Thessalonians is the return of Christ. And how it should impact the daily life of his people. And it begins in chapter 1, and I won't read the chapter to you, but it begins in chapter 1, or he ends chapter 1, his first, uh, his first uh, introductory words to the, the Thessalonians, with these words, we have been called to wait for his Son, Jesus Christ, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. That tells me three things. That tells me, number one, that the return of Jesus Christ ought to be the focus of the church. Amen. We focus on a lot of other things. We get sidetracked by a lot of other things. But we are told specifically to watch and wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. That at the heart of our faith, at the heart of our hope, at the heart of our love, the, the, the motivation for everything we do ought to be the return of Jesus Christ. How will this look? How will this be received at the time that Jesus comes? Paul talked about works that would be burnt up, consumed, wood, hay, stubble. 
I don't mean to be uh, pejorative today, I, 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 but I, I think there's a lot of wood and hay and stubble in the life of the church today. There's a lot of things we're going about doing that have no eternal uh, value or no eternal meaning at all. It doesn't necessarily mean we can't do them, but it, it means that we're spending a lot of time on things that don't really matter. We're investing a great portion of our life and a great portion of our energy and a great portion of the resources that we have been given by God on things that are simply going to be consumed in the fire. Things that are simply going to be consumed in the fire. And I wonder today, I I, I really, it's been in my heart all of this week as I've meditated on these thoughts. I've really wondered, I've searched my own life. God, what is in me? Whatever, what, yeah, and, and I know there's some things you cannot avoid in life. You have certain things that have to be taken care of. But I have to find a way. I said, God, help me find a way that if it's something I have to do, then let me find a way so that I can do it for you. So that the, so that the doing of it will have some eternal weight to it. Now, if I've got to work, if I've got to make a living, give me a way to do that so that what I, so that it's not simply wasted time. So that it's not simply time spent in selfish pursuit of, of my own ambition or of my own, uh, of my own conceit. But rather let me use, I, I had an employee this week who took another job with, with another company out of state and, and I hired her seven years ago to just be an admin. But I saw something in her. She was she had some some gifts and some talents, and so I began to coach her and mentor her and train her. And 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 now seven years later, this one who was once my admin is going to make twice as much money as I make, and a job at a very senior level position in a company. And and she she called me and she said, I want to talk to you before I go. So I, I went to the station where she was at. And she came out. She hugged me. And she said, I just want you to know I never would have got here without you. Now that really makes, you know, that, that, war, that warms your heart. That just makes you feel good. That, I, 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 that, that, that it wasn't wasted time. That the energy and the effort I put into teaching and training and coaching and mentoring and, 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 and walking her through the difficulties and, and, and being there for her at the times of trouble and trial, that it, there's a payoff to it. Church, there has to be a payoff to what we're doing. And that payoff has to be that when Jesus comes, he will say, well, good, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are waiting for the Lord to come, but we are not waiting idly. We are waiting for the Lord to come, but we are not laying about like some who do nothing. We are waiting for the Lord to come, but the time that we are waiting ought to be the time of our greatest effort and our greatest investment. Paul talks about those who... He preached the gospel to in chapter 2. He knew the Lord, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. He sought to persuade men. I know this is, I know the Bible tells us to save some with fear. That when a person becomes aware of the fact that they're going to stand before their creator, their redeemer, the one who gave themselves for them, that they're going to have to answer for their faith or lack thereof, that there ought to be a moment of, 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 of deep and abiding concern. As much as I trust 
in the blood of Jesus Christ to justify me and establish me before Him, blameless in holiness, Paul says. Chapter 3, it talks about when Jesus comes, He will validate your blameless and holiness position before Him. So we go back to chapter 2, and he talks about those who go into the, or go with the understanding that while they're waiting for the Lord to come, the mission is to bring as many possible into the ark of safety. We've become way too comfortable as a church and way too comfortable as individual believers with letting people die without knowing Jesus Christ. We've become accommodators. I've heard it come out of the mouths of ministers. I've heard it come out of the mouths of ministers. I love and respect, and I still love and respect them. Anyone can make a mistake. Anyone can say something, and sometimes you have to challenge. Even Paul had to go up to Peter and say, you're you're wrong on this one. So sometimes, no, nobody's perfect. Sometimes a a minister can have a a thought to say something. Maybe he's just trying to reconcile or or keep peace, but sometimes you've got to watch what comes out of your mouth. You gotta watch what you say. And I've heard ministers say, well, you know, if, if that's what you believe, that, that's okay for you. No, it's not okay for you. Anyone who does not believe the words of the Son of God, the wrath of God abides on them. And well, though it may cost us, it may cost us friendship, it may cost us relationship, it may cost us reputation, and one day it may cost us our freedom. We must have the boldness to say without fear and without intimidation, Jesus Christ is Lord. Alone He is God. Alone He is Lord. And He alone will judge the living and the dead. And if you're not right with Him, it doesn't matter what else is going on. I said to somebody, I said that to somebody a a while ago. They got so flustered. They didn't understand it. I I don't think they could comprehend what I was saying. I just told him, I said, you know, if, if you're right with Jesus, you're right with me. And they kind of looked at me and they didn't know what that meant. And this is a person who claimed to be a Christian, claimed to be brought up in a church. Somewhere along the way, we have, we have gotten off track. Somewhere along the way, we have forgotten that our God is an awesome God. He's a consuming fire. He is the judge of the living and the dead. And anyone who is not under the blood of Jesus Christ is under the appointed wrath. The appointed wrath of God. He said, oh, I believe God's a loving God, Pastor. I believe he's just going to make a way for everybody. Well, you better not read your Bible. Don't read your Bible. Even the great book of Romans, the book of salvation, right? If you want to see how God justifies and how he redeems and how he sanctifies and how he delivers, Romans is your book. It's got the, that, 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 those great statements of faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? It's an awesome book. But it begins this way, for the wrath of God has appeared unto all men. Amen. The wrath of God. The Bible says, Paul says in Romans, the wrath of God is already at work in the world. The wrath of God is taking those who know who God is, but refuse to acknowledge Him as God. Come on. Sound like anybody you know? You know anybody who once knew who God was, but refused to or know who God is, but refuses to acknowledge Him as God and offer substitutes? 
You know, anyone who persists in ungodliness and unrighteousness, who persists in suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, turning the truth of God into a lie? Do you know anyone who's been given over to, 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 to lust and to corruption? Do you know anyone with a debased mind who can no longer distinguish? A debased mind is simply a mind that cannot distinguish between good and evil, between right and wrong. Do you know anybody like that? Anybody who can't tell up from down? Anybody who can't tell good from bad, male from female? you know anybody like that? The Bible, Paul says they're under the wrath of God. That already the wrath of God is at work in their life. Because they would not acknowledge Him. He has given them over to His wrath. Let me tell you something, there's only two ways God deals with people in this world. Through His mercy and grace through Jesus Christ or through His wrath as the judge of all the, of all the world. The pastor, I don't like this wrath talk. I go back to talking about how good and loving Jesus is. Let me tell you something. We've got to get comfortable. We've got to get comfortable letting people know that there is a price and a penalty and a consequence. A price, a consequence to be paid when they do not receive and obey the truth concerning Jesus Christ. It's not pleasant. It's not a conversation I enjoy having with anybody. But for my conscience to be clear, for me to stand before the Lord on that day with a clear conscience, I have to know that I did everything I could. That I said to the unrighteous, your way is not pleasing before God. You're walking in disobedience. You are a child of wrath. Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 2. And we all were. We all walked in disobedience. We were all children of wrath. It says in Romans chapter 2 that through the hardness of our hearts, we were treasuring up the wrath of God against ourselves on that day. In other words, instead of laying up blessings, instead of laying up benefits, instead of laying up rewards, there are some who are laying up only punishment. If you carry what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 2, it ought to chill you to the bone. There are some people, as much as we like to talk about how serving God and walking before God lays up treasures in heaven on our behalf, there is an opposite to that. If one is not laying up treasures in heaven, what is one laying up? If it is not reward, then what is coming? for them. If it's not reward, then it is punishment. There are some who wicked deed by wicked deed, oppression by oppression, violence by violence, corruption by corruption, perversion by perversion, are stacking up the wrath of God against themselves, laying it up against that day. Somebody was arguing with me that it is unjust of God to punish people. I said, you would not say that about any earthly judge. I said, if, if a man went and committed a crime against you, against your family, if he killed someone you loved, if he took something that belonged to you, if he violated the sanctity of your home, 
did violence to your wife or your child. And a judge said, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. Just go on with your life. You'd file charges against the judge. You'd call that judge corrupt. You would insist a bribe had been offered. You would say something has gone terribly wrong. We demand justice for ourselves. How much more will the God of creation demand justice for what he has done? If he is a just God, he must be a punishing God. If he is a just God, there must be judgment when we're in the wrong. Now don't misunderstand. He has made a way of escape. He has provided a substitute for that punishment. But if you reject that offer, you will face God on your own terms. And if you face God on your own terms, God help you. Because no flesh shall be justified in the sight of God. You may be of the mindset, I think my good outweighs my bad. You know, I, I, I gave a dollar to the guy at the street corner. I, I saw that commercial on the TV with the starving kids. And so, you know, I sent, I sent in a donation. I saw the one where the, where the poor dog was locked outside for a week. Didn't it break your heart? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it says something about me. I get more upset about the animal ones than I do about the people ones. I got. I got to work on that on myself. But we like to think that we can somehow balance the scales. Let me do a little bit good here to wipe out the, the little bit bad that I did. The Bible makes it very clear. The Word of God makes it very clear. There is no balancing of the scale. Every sin is as present in the sight of God today as it was on the day you committed it. The problem in dealing with an eternal God is nothing has ever passed. All our sin abides before Him as if it was just committed this very moment. And until something comes and removes that sin from His sight, until atonement is offered, until there's a cleansing, that is all that God will ever be able to see in your life. Sometimes we find ourselves thinking of the return of Christ in many different contexts. And Paul uses a number of different descriptions here and a number of different ideas. And we will go through them as we go through this book. But it begins with this idea. If Jesus does not come, there is no way for us to be delivered from the wrath that God is going to pour out in this world. The Bible gives us two examples of this in the Old Testament. The first is the example of Noah. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, and as in the days of Lot. What do those two examples give us? One, that the wicked were punished. The wicked were punished. Whatever you think of how it was done or why it was done makes no difference now. It's done. But that the righteous were preserved. The righteous were, the angel told Lot, We've got to get you out of the way so God can deal with this city. One of the promises we are given is that before God pours his final cup of wrath on this world, he will take us out. He will deliver us from the wrath to come. I believe this. 
I believe one of the only things that's restraining the fullness of the wrath of God in this world is the presence of his people. Because God knows when he finally pours that final cup of wrath, there will be no hiding place. There will be nowhere to go. No desert. No cave. No mountain. I just spent some time last couple of weeks in the mountains and I saw a lot of places in there where a man can get lost. You know, I kind of have that. You ever had that thought to yourself? If things really go crazy, if things really get out of hand, I mean, if it's every man for themselves time, let me just find that little place up on the mountaintop or way back in the valley somewhere where nobody can get to me. That's where our minds work. I'm going to find me a spot. You know what I figured out? There's nowhere to go. The wrath of God will cover every square inch of this world. There will be no hiding from it except in Jesus Christ. I tell you this today and I say it. If it takes the fear of God's wrath, to get you or to get someone to get right with God, then so be it. I can tell you long before I learned to love God, I learned to fear God. Long before I learned to serve Him because of His abundant goodness, the fear of God's wrath restrained me from going beyond the reach of His grace. I was not living right, but I knew there were lines that could not be crossed. I knew enough about what it would mean to face God on a day of judgment, to keep myself at least in range of His glight and His glory. I don't know if that's your testimony or not, but it's mine. I never doubted that God was a God who would deal with evil justly. And I knew as much as he loved me, and he proved his love for me by sending his son to die for me. God does not owe me any further proof. The fact that he was willing to give the life of his son for mine is all the evidence I will ever need that God loves me. But I knew that that love would not be enough if I persisted in my sin. If I did not accept the Son of God, the wrath of God would abide on me. Some save with fear. Some pull from the fire. Some of us have to come face to face with the reality of what's waiting for us outside of the grace of Jesus Christ, before we'll finally be convinced to put our hope and trust in Him. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? We have been called to flee the wrath of God to escape what's coming in this world. I believe we're getting a little taste of it here, a little taste of it there. 
Some of our societies have gone so far away from God. At this point, it looks like it's almost beyond hope. But there's no way. But I tell you, as wicked as our world is becoming, the people of God ought to stand out even more. We ought to shine even brighter. We may not be able to change what's happening. We may have to learn to live among a wicked and adulterous generation. But that doesn't mean we will partake. We'll walk alongside them, but we will be God's people. And it may be that difference in how we live and conduct ourselves that may very well be what God uses to draw some to escape his wrath. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this congregation today. I ask you to minister to their hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the wrath that is to come. And we look forward to the day when you appear to take us out so that you can deal with this world according to its sin. But we pray for mercy today. Even now there are those we love. Even there now there are those we care about. Even now there are those that are, that, that, that are, are, are blood to us, are kin to us, are family to us. That if today was that day, they would face the wrath of Almighty God. So we pray for mercy. We pray for one more opportunity to bring them into the ark of safety. Lord, we want you to come. We look forward to that day. We wish that day was upon us, but we don't want to leave this world and we don't want to leave those we love at the, at, at, at the time of the day of wrath. So we pray for mercy. We pray for grace. Touch their hearts. Touch their souls. Touch their spirits. You see who's on the minds of your people this morning. You see the names that they're calling before you in their prayers. Oh, Father God, don't appoint them to wrath. Appoint them to salvation. Appoint them to receive the just and righteous mercy of God. Father, we pray for our communities and our nations and in this world today. Those who are suppressing the truth. Those who are perverting justice. Those who are oppressing the weak. Those who are corrupting our children. Oh God, if they will not hear the Son of God, if they will not listen to the Word of God, if they will not obey the voice of God, then all that is remaining for them is your wrath. We pray, O oh God, today that they'll hear, that they'll listen, that they'll obey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. 
For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.